0: Here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Good morning, everyone. How was everyone today? That was an amazing time of worship. Amen. I want to welcome everyone here. If this is your first or second time here, we just want to say welcome home. I'd love to get a chance to meet you after the service, just right behind this door. We want to welcome everyone Arden online. Good for you to be here. We're going to be in Acts 19, so go ahead and turn there. As you turn there, I want to read a famous speech, and I want you to guess who said it. Okay, so we're going to activate your brains a little bit. It is not the critic who counts, nor the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly who knows great enthusiasms the great devotions who spends himself in a worthy cause who at the best knows while in the end of the high achievement and who at worst, if he fails at least he fails while doing so greatly so this his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat who said it good job Theodore Roosevelt in Paris France at a uh, special session, citizenship in the Republic. It was on April 23rd, 1910. Now what's interesting is that speech brings to images a lot of the things you guys have seen on TV. You're seeing people that are rising up and they're fighting for their country. They're fighting for freedom. And what's interesting is we, we didn't plan this series in, in concert with what's happening because this just started happening. But now, more than ever, is the time for believers to be bold. And as believers, we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. Because the victory has already been won in the cross, amen? So today we're continuing in our series in Paul's third missionary journey. And we've been doing this series called Be Bold. So today we're going to talk about the power to be bold. It's one thing to say be bold, it's another thing to have the ability or the wherewithal to be bold. So a little preview for Acts 19. We're going to see a group of disciples that had great intentions, but they lacked the power. They had great intentions of doing things for God, but they didn't have the power. And we're going to see them get the power to be bold. So look in verse 1. And again, welcome to our online audience. Acts 19, starting in verse 1. And it came to pass, while Apollos was at Corinth... That Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, we have not even so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So he said to them into what baptism then were you baptized? They said into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying that to the people that they should believe on him who had come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Paul laid his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they all spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. And when he went to the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months... Reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But some of them were hardened and did not believe. But spoke evil of the way before the multitude. He departed from them and withdrew the disciples reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years. So that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. Both Jews and Greeks. Let us pray. Father, we give thanks for your word. And, Father, we thank you that you not only tell us to be bold, but you give us the power to be bold. So, Father, as we look into your word, we do want to pause, as been mentioned, and pray for all those in our world that are suffering right now. God, we're praying for the Russians and the Ukrainians that, God, you would move, that you would work in the situation, as so many are afraid, that you would give them the ability to be bold. And Father, for those who don't know you, that somehow through this crisis and through this conflict and through this war, that many would come to faith in Christ. Bless your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to talk about the actions of the bold believer. And there's going to be four R's. Someone say R. Sounds like a pirate, right? So this will help you remember. I don't always use alliteration, but it's helped you remember. So the first R is this recognize that you cannot live the effective Christian life apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Now look back in your scripture passage at verse 1. It says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. So we see here that Apollos went back to Corinth. Or he went to Corinth, where Paul was leaving. And Paul later on said that I planted the seed, and Apollos, what did he do? He watered the seed. So Paul left Corinth, and Apollos came there, and Apollos began to water the message in the lives of the believers. And Paul had started a church there on a second missionary journey. And he made his way to Ephesus. So we've got a map of Ephesus. Let's throw this up here. So Ephesus, if you're looking at Paul's third missionary journey, do we have a map? I don't know if we have one. We had one in the first service, but Paul made his way to Ephesus, and Ephesus is a place that was a pretty big city. The average population around this time was around 250,000. So if you think about that, that's a really big-sized city, two and a half times the size of Asheville. And as Paul made his way down the Arcadian Way, he went towards the Library of Celsius. I want you to think about the Library of Celsius, where there's... Library and reading and he walked along the mosaic tile anybody ever worked, walked on a mosaic tile how it feels on your feet Well, there's still that in ephesus. There's still remains of that And while paul was in ephesus. He wrote the book of first corinthians. So when you read first corinthians You can remember paul is in this city So I want to take you to one of the seven wonders of the world It is the temple of diana She was one of the goddesses And this temple is so huge. I want you to think of the Parthenon in Athens. This is four times the size of the Parthenon in Athens. So for those of you who like specific measurements, this temple was so big, it was 418 feet long. So 418 feet long by 239 feet wide. It had 127 pillars. So what's really bizarre about this temple, and you know, thinking about it today, it's like that's so weird. But for all the young ladies, they they worship Diana, and Diana was considered the goddess of the hunt. Supposedly she was born in the woods, and uh, so they would go and worship at this temple. So ladies, whenever people in this day got married, this is so bizarre, they would take a lock of hair and they would walk up those steps and present a lock of hair to Diana, and they would also take one of their maiden garments an outfit that they had worn that represented them before their marriage. They bring the lock of hair, of the garment, and they would pray for children. Isn't that weird? So this is the city that Paul's in where they're worshiping this goddess Diana, also known, of, known as Artemis, And they, they, would, they would ask for children. They'd ask for blessings on their family. And throughout the whole Roman Empire, there were 39 shrines to this goddess. But in Ephesus... This was the headquarters. This is the, the place where people went. So can you imagine going to a place where this false goddess is, is worshipped and people are there and they're like, this is, Paul, Paul is experiencing this place. So what's interesting, look at verse 2. It says in verse 2 that he came to some disciples and he asked, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we have not even so much as heard as there is a Holy Spirit. So these disciples, basically they had purpose, but they didn't have all the information. They were going on old information. They were disciples of John the Baptist. And we're going to talk about that more in just a little bit. But what I love about Paul is Paul did not rebuke them for having lack of understanding. He did not call them out or make them feel less than. Paul welcomed them and taught them the truth of God's word. So here's the thing at Arden. We're going to have people that don't have it all figured out. And by the way, I'm I'm one of those. I don't have it all figured out in case you're wondering. And here's the thing. We've got to be a place of grace and truth so that people come and they don't have it all figured out. You don't make them feel less than. You open up the Bible and in a spirit of love and grace, you teach from the Bible. Amen. So if you don't have it figured out, welcome. Welcome to the group. We're trying to learn as we go. And the thing about it is, they said they had not even heard of the Holy Spirit, much less received the Holy Spirit. So, can I tell you a little bit about the Holy Spirit? You guys want to learn a little about the Holy Spirit? Ms. Dot, you asked about the Holy Spirit the other day. We're talking about the Holy Spirit today. Alright. Check, check. There we go. Praise God for backup technology, right? So, here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. I want to give you three prepositions that will help you understand the working of the Holy Spirit. The first one is beside. Someone say beside. The second preposition is inside. And the third preposition is through. So beside, inside, and through. So here's how it works. The Holy Spirit, have you ever noticed before you became a Christian you felt something tugging you? You felt conviction? You're like, man, I don't know what, but I'm feeling drawn to God? By the way, naturally, none of us seek God on our own unless God's already drawing us. The fact that you're here today, the fact that you're watching online, either you're already in the faith or God is drawing you. So that's the role the Holy Spirit is. He comes alongside of you, and his mission is to bring you to Jesus. So he works alongside of you. Now, once you decide to invite Jesus into your life to save you, to forgive you, the Holy Spirit not only works beside you, but guess what? He moves inside of you. So he's working beside you, and now he's living on the inside of you. And as you daily surrender your life to God, as you walk with him daily, not only is God beside you and inside you, but he begins to work through you. That's where the power comes, when God works through you. So beside me, the Holy Spirit's drawing me to Christ before salvation. In addition to that, when I become a Christian, he moves inside of me. And now as I daily live for him, he works through me. So hopefully those three prepositions will help you understand it. Look on your listening guide for a moment. I'm going to give you theology one oh one. A lot of times Baptist churches uh we have a reputation for not talking about the Holy Spirit enough. How many have ever heard that in the Baptist churches? Okay, we're gonna we're gonna change that trend here. So let's talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. First of all, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not an it or some kind of impersonal force or energy the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is God and he moves in our midst. So let's go back to Genesis 1. The Bible says in the beginning God did what? He created the heavens and the earth. You go back to the original Hebrew, the word for God is Elohim. And Elohim is plural majesty. In other words, God was working in the beginning. Plural. Father, Son, and Spirit. And in verse 2 of Genesis 1, it says the Spirit of God, what was he doing? He was hovering over the water. So you see the third person of the Trinity at creation. And here's the beautiful thing about your life. Whenever you give your life to Christ, Paul says you become a new creation. So that same Holy Spirit that was working in creation of the world works in the new creation, making you a brand new person. So I want to give you a little image in your mind. How many of you have ever observed a caterpillar? crawling along the ground. Most caterpillars are pretty ugly, right? I don't know, but the ones I've seen, maybe you've seen pretty ones, they're all ugly. But the caterpillar starts eating and eating and eating and eating and getting really full. And all of a sudden, it goes into like this sleeping bag called a cocoon, right? And uh, several days later, you see the sleeping bag shaking, and all of a sudden, the wings pop out. And this really ugly caterpillar that's eating the dirt and crawling on the ground has now gone through a metamorphosis and it's become a butterfly. Have you ever looked at the two and says, how did that become that? You ever ask that question? It's a transformation. That's what happens. If you're not a Christian today, spiritually speaking, you're like a caterpillar. You're crawling around eating the dirt of the world and life is not that great. But whenever God moves on the inside of you, the Holy Spirit comes and he changes you from the inside out and you become a butterfly. You become spiritually a brand new creation. That old life is gone and behold, the new life has come. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. What does omnipresent mean? Someone tell me. He's everywhere. So there is nowhere you can go that God is not present. So a lot of times as a pastor through the years, I've heard people saying about God moving in a certain place, a certain area. And that's good that we all have experiences. But let me remind you the theology of the Holy Spirit. He's everywhere. So just like you experience God at a certain place, he can do it again. He can, he's not limited to a location. He's not limited to a certain church building. He is everywhere present. The Holy Spirit is a divine person and he possesses a mind, emotions, and a will. Sometimes we think of God as impersonal, that he doesn't fill feel our feelings, But where do you think we got our feelings from? Got them from God. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit, because he's a person, he can be grieved. For everyone that's been a Christian longer than a few years, you've experienced that you've done something you knew you shouldn't do, and what do you feel? That conviction. You feel the Holy Spirit grieved and saddened. he has emotions. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is our guide and divine counselor. You read John 14 on your own, and Jesus said, It's good for me to go away because why? I'm going to give you another helper. It's the Greek word parakletos, and it's the idea of someone that goes alongside of you, someone like a coach, someone like a guide. He goes alongside of you. He guides you. And not only does he go alongside of us, but he teaches us things, and he brings things back to our remembrance. How many of you, and we'll ask a show of hands, how many of you have ever forgotten something, and in the moment you're talking to someone, and it's like that comes up like really quickly, you haven't thought of it in years, right? And you're like, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He brings back... Things that you have learned and studied, even even more. I would not say more, but equally amazingly, have you ever said something you never thought of, and it was really spiritual, really biblical? And you're like, "Wow, I've never thought of that," and it just came out. Who do you think gave you that? The person of the Holy Spirit. So He gives you what you need in the time of need when you're sharing Christ with others. He lives inside of every believer, and the Holy Spirit, because He lives inside of you, your body is now called what? A temple. It's a funny story. I remember, I don't know where this came from, but I remember reading a story about this kid came to church with a hat on and one of the deacons said, you better take that hat off, son. And he's like, well, why? And he's like, well, you're wearing a hat in church. And the kid, he had some theology down, and he said, sir, excuse me, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I'm not wearing the hat in the church, I'm wearing the hat on the church. <laughs> You'll figure that out in a little bit. So your body, because God lives inside, you, you're literally a walking church. So here's the thing. We don't just go to church. We are many churches coming together, the assembly of churches. Think about that. I am the church and I'm going to church to assemble together with other temples. The Holy Spirit is like an engagement ring. All right. How many of you ladies have ever received an engagement ring before? All right. So when you got the engagement ring, it was a promise that what? You are going to. I'm going to the chapel and I'm. Going to get married. I don't know the rest of the song, but it came to mind. I know I can't sing. I just do that for shock factor. So here's the thing. You get this ring and it's, 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 a, it's a promise that I'm going to complete what I committed. So here's what God does. Whenever you give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit is like a down payment. It's like I'm giving you heaven. I'm giving you a piece of heaven. It's the person, the Holy Spirit. It's a foretaste of what's to come. And here's the thing, even though the world around you is crazy, because the person of the Holy Spirit lives inside you, it gives you a foretaste of what heaven's going to be like. Because the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love. How many of you want to live in a place where there's love, not war? There's joy, there's peace, there's patience, there's kindness, there's goodness, there's faithfulness, there's gentleness, and there's self-control. It's interesting how that's listed last, because that's what we struggle with the most, right? So here's the thing, that's the foretaste of the kingdom. Imagine living in a place where there's nothing but love. Imagine living in a place where there's nothing but joy. Imagine living in a place where there's nothing but peace because you've got Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who is ruling and reigning eternally. So that's, that's a little preview of what's to come. So the spirit-filled believer is a dangerous person because he pushes back the kingdom of darkness. The spirit-filled believer is filled with power. Someone say power. He's filled with power, and this transforms your walk and your talk. It transforms the way you live and the way you interact with others. All right, someone say power. The second R, someone say R. We're on the second R now. Receive the complete gospel so that you can live the victorious Christian life. So these guys, like, you know, we had not even heard about the Holy Spirit. Sad to say that's probably some church members in the church today. We don't even know there's a Holy Spirit out there. So notice what Paul says in verse 3. He says, what were you baptized? Into what baptism? So they said, John's baptism. And Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying that people should believe on him who would come after them, that as on Jesus Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So here's the idea. John the Baptist was a forerunner to prepare the way for Jesus. And his message was, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And his message is, the Messiah is coming. The Messiah, you need to believe on him. And eventually, John pointed to Jesus and said, behold the Lamb of God. Right? But somehow, these believers, they understood about repentance, but they didn't understand about the finished work of Christ. Somehow, their theology, they believed the Messiah was coming But they didn't know the rest of the story. Most likely, we're not told all the details, but what we can infer is maybe they were lacking about the death of Christ. The sacrificial death on the cross. Maybe their theology did not have a resurrection in it. They didn't understand that the Messiah did die and he rose again. You're like, well, how could they not understand? This is, you know, 10, 20 years or so past the resurrection of Jesus. How could they not get it? Well, understand, this is before email. This is before cell phones. This is before the Internet. So things traveled really slow during this day. So in Ephesus, far removed from Jerusalem, these guys just didn't understand. So notice it says there were 12 men. And as Paul was talking to them, he noticed that something was missing in their lives. Like there was just something missing. So that's why he asked the question, uh, what baptism did you have? And just so you guys understand baptism, baptism is identifying with someone. So, in other words, whenever they got baptized, they identified with John's message of repentance. So you might want to say that these guys were like Old Testament saints. These guys were saved. And by the way, people in the Old Testament were not saved by keeping a the law. They were not saved by a sacrificial system. Here's how they were saved. By faith and the promises of God. Because Paul tells us in the book of Romans, no one is saved by keeping the law. You know why? We've all broken the law. And if you've broken the law one time, then you're not saved. So how were people saved before Jesus came? They were saved by having faith in the promises of God, that the Messiah is coming. So these were kind of like Old Testament saints. They believed in the coming Messiah, but they didn't have all the information that Jesus had come, he had died for our sins, and he rose again. So when Paul took them aside, he talked to them, and he says, listen, uh, let me tell you the rest of the story. So I just want to encourage you that... This is something that, as a church, we've got to bring people alongside. There are some people here that have never been in church in their lives. Believe it or not, this past year we have people, this was the first time ever coming to church all their life. And that's exciting. We have some people that have never read the Bible coming to church. And what we've got to do is lovingly put our arms around them and say, let us take this journey together. We're never going to make you feel less than. We're never going to feel like you're not important. We're going to put our arms around you and walk you through the Bible. And by the way, that's why Arden, we preach to the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We want people to know the word. So we take them along and we try to encourage them and say, listen, here's what it's about. And just a side note, this Easter, how many of you know Easter's coming up? We are working on sending out a gospel presentation via postcard. Now, there's only so much you can put on a postcard, so it's going to be the bullet points. But we're going to send it out to five-mile radius of this church. And someone asked me, Timothy, why don't we do a 10-mile radius? Well, that costs a lot of money, but if you want to step up, we can do that too. But we're going, to, we're going to send out the gospel message with the invite to come to Easter. And you're like, why would you do that? Well, the reason why is we want to give every man, every woman, every teenager, every child a chance to know about Jesus, a chance to know about the gospel. And here's the here's the stats. Pre-COVID, 70% of Arden did not go to church what do you think that percentage is up to now? Probably 80 plus, right? 85 plus. We, we don't have the current stats. So here's, here's the response. Notice it says immediately they were baptized. Now, this is the only passage that I know of in the New Testament where someone was baptized twice. They were baptized by John the Baptist, and then they realized, well, I wasn't baptized as a Christian, so I need to get it right. So this would be the equivalent of someone baptized as a baby, and they realize, well, I, I was never baptized as a believer, so what do they do? They're like, I need to get baptized on the right side of my salvation after I become a Christian. So Martin Luther, not that I have a dream Martin Luther, but the reformer, the theologian, he struggled with a lot of things in his life. He struggled with depression. He struggled with anxiety. He struggled with self-loathing. And he found himself at the Catholic Church Council called the Diet of Worms. Which, horrible name. Think about Diet of Worms. I don't know why anybody would name it. But he, he was there and basically they asked him to renounce His, his evangelical beliefs, the Protestant beliefs that we hold, he asked, it contradicted, some of them contradicted what the Catholics believed, that you're saved by faith alone, you don't have to do all this other, you're saved by faith alone in Christ alone, through grace alone, the gospel sufficient. All these beliefs that Luther stood for, the Catholics, the Catholic Church at this time said renounce it, and he would not. So they thrust him away, he got thrust away to this castle, and in isolation, he, his, his mind wrestled. Have you ever noticed that some of you that are very, very smart overthink things? You ever notice that you ever notice that some people that overthink things struggle with depression? That may not be you, but some people that are very, very smart, you think too much. So some of you are like first service people are pointing each other. But here's the thing. Luther was brilliant, but yet he struggled with his thoughts. And one particular occasion, he was sitting in the castle and he felt Satan was in the room. Now, whether he was or not, we cannot verify. We were not there. But he felt like the devil was in the room, whether he was being tempted or tried. So pick up, he picked up his ink block that he was writing with the ink. And he threw this ink container across the room at the devil. He was trying to hit Satan with the ink. But here's what Luther said every time that he struggled. He said, I have been baptized. He would yell that out, I have been Baptized! And what he did is he looked back on the time when when Satan caused him to doubt his salvation. He looked back on the time when he was baptized. So he didn't have some great theological debate with the enemy. He would yell out, I have been baptized. So here's what I would encourage every believer. There's many believers that have accepted Christ but never went through baptism. So let me give you a little analogy. And the ladies in the first service got a little upset. Hopefully this, this will have some reaction to the ladies. But okay, how many ladies in here are single? Raise your hand. If you're single, all right. Single guys, you may want to look around. There may be someone around. Church is a great place to meet someone. So imagine single ladies that someone said, you know, I, you met a guy. He's the man of your dreams. He said, you know, I want to marry you, but I want to do it in private. Let, let's just go justice to the peace. You and I, I never want to go public with it. I never, my Facebook status is going to forever say single, interested in women. Um, I'm not even going to put a ring on. How many of you ladies would sign up for that type of marriage? Nobody. The women in the first service were angry at the illustration. Well, here's the thing. I hope it makes you angry because think about Jesus. He died on the cross publicly for us, He wasn't ashamed. And baptism doesn't save you, but what it does, it's the public ceremony of saying, because I've been saved, I'm going public. I'm not ashamed. So here's the thing if you want to hit a home run in the Christian life, you've got to go to first base. And what is first base after you become a believer? It's getting baptized. Baptism is not essential for salvation, but it is essential for obedience. Because that's the first command after you get saved, is to be baptized. While it doesn't save you, it's the first act of obedience. So here's the thing. If you want to experience the fullness of the Christian life, you have to go to first base. Be baptized. So that's what these believers did. They were, they were baptized. And their life was forever changed. So I just want to encourage you. The spirit-filled believer is filled with power. And this power transforms your walk and it transforms your talk. All right, third R. Someone say R. You're halfway there. Respond to the work of the Holy Spirit within you. Notice the Holy Spirit was beside them, leading them to Christ. And all of a sudden, look what happens in verse 6. Quite fascinating. Look back at verse 6. It says, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, notice what happens. The Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now, the men were about 12 in all. So notice what happens. Whenever these people respond to the message of the gospel, Jesus Christ, he died for your sins, he rose again. If you receive him, you can be forgiven. They responded to the complete message of the gospel. Paul laid his hands on him. The Holy Spirit fell, just like the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. Just like the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And what I want you to see is Acts is kind of like a bridge book of the Bible. It needs to be explained like this. Acts helps transfer people from the old covenant to the new covenant. The new covenant has been established by Jesus. The challenge is not everyone knows about it, right? Just like these believers are like, we didn't know about the Holy Spirit. So they were kind of like Old Testament saints. So what the Acts does is it transitions. You see the the Jews getting saved and you see them speaking in tongues. You see the Gentiles getting saved, speaking in tongues. Now you see this group. And you're like, why would they speak in tongues? Let me explain tongues a little bit. We're getting into a lot of interesting topics today. Tongues, every time you see it in the New Testament, to my knowledge, the only exception is Paul's rhetorical, though I speak with the tongues of men and and angels. But when you see people actually doing it, it was in a known language. It was not in some unknown language. Every time they spoke in tongues, it was in a known language of that day. A lot of times we think of tongues as mysterious and people chattering. No, it was a known language. And whenever you can interpret it, they're like, wow, they're speaking my language. The the, the amazing things about God. So Paul tells us later, and if you're taking notes, this is 1 Corinthians 14, 22. Tongues is a sign to unbelievers. So here's what that would look like. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell and you see the day of Pentecost, the people around them said, I can't believe this. They're speaking in my native tongue and they're not from where I'm from. It was a confirming sign to unbelievers. So every time someone spoke in tongues, it was a sign that God is real. It was an external expression. So where churches get in debate about tongues is where sometimes they force you to have that gift. So if, if you want to study a little bit about tongues, read First Corinthians 12, Paul lists a long list of gifts. And he asks a rhetorical question. He says, "Do all prophesy?" What do you think the answer to that? Does, does everyone preach? No. Do all do miracles? Have you seen everyone, every Christian do a miracle? No. And then he says, do all speak in tongues? And it's a rhetorical question with assume no. In other words, everyone's got a different gift. And sometimes our more spirit-filled friends, we'll, we'll call them, they'll point back to this saying, look at this, and you can understand Acts is a bridge passage. Tongues does exist, but every believer has a different gift. So if you weren't given that gift, it's okay. You don't have to beg. What's interesting is you'll see people say, beg for the gift, plead with God. Well, if it's a gift, why should I have to beg for it? It's given by God to build up the body. You don't have to beg or plead for a spiritual gift. In fact, when you become a Christian, not only does the Holy Spirit live inside of you, but he gives you at least one gift to build up the church. So you don't have to go begging for a spiritual gift. God's already given you one. Look at the person next to you. That's good news. I don't want to feel like a less than Christian because I have a different gift. We're all different parts of the body of Christ. So these 12 men, they become the charter members of the church at Ephesus. And if you want to read about the church in Ephesus, read the book of Ephesians. It's going to tell you all about the book of Ephesians. So here's the the big idea before we move on to the next R, is that when God works inside of you, it's going to show on the outside of you. You know, we live in a day where people are talking about deconstructing their faith. Now, I understand if you're talking about taking unbiblical areas out. In the old school, we call that repentance. We don't call that deconstruction, right? We just saw it getting right with God, repenting. But here's the idea. People that are walking away from their faith, I got to ask the question, were they ever saved to begin with? Because once you become a butterfly, you can never go back to being a caterpillar. Now, you can act like a caterpillar again, but you'll never go back. Once you become born again, you can't be unborn. Once you have everlasting life, God can't take away something that's everlasting. So people that, were, Paul said it in the last days, he told Timothy, you're going to see people that deny the faith. This is the last day. So you're going to see well-known celebrities, and pastors, and worship leaders say, I'm not a Christian anymore. Guess what? God already predicted it would happen. So let's just, let's just be aware. Keep our eyes on Jesus, not on a celebrity worship leader, celebrity pastor. They will let us down, but Jesus never will. Amen? All right, the final R. I want to hear you say R again. R. All right. Rally around the mission of God as you proclaim the kingdom of God. I love verses 8 through 10. This is a fun passage, isn't it? Just wait till next week's passage. It's, it's gonna, I'll, I'll give you a preview in just a minute. And he went and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when some of them were hearted and did not believe, but spoke evil the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. So here's the thing I want you to think about. Paul goes to the Jew first, because that was his every city he went. He went to the Jew first. And then whenever the Jews kicked him out of the, the, the synagogue, where would he go? He'd go next door, down the road, somewhere else. So Paul finds himself at the school of Tyrannus. What does Tyrannus sound like? What's that? Tyrant, right? Yeah. Anybody remember Jurassic Park, Tyrannosaurus Rex? So this actual word, this is—I'm not making this up. This actual word, Tyrannus, it literally means death spot or tyrant. So there's two possibilities. This guy that had this school, if he was the owner, people would be like, "Man, I hate." Teaching at this guy's school because, man, when he demands rent, this guy's a tyrant, okay? You ever met someone that's like, Tyrant, I want the rent right now. What about if this guy was a professor at this school? You know, this was a lecture hall type place, higher education. You ever met a professor that was so harsh and hard, everyone failed? This guy's a tyrant. We don't know. But here's a side note In this culture of Ephesus, it got really hot during the day. How many of you grew up in a place like Columbia, South Carolina? Texas, anywhere where certain times of the day you walk out and you're soaking wet. Anybody ever grew up in a place like that? All right, all my Texas friends. Florida, (laughs) that's why you moved up here. Thank the Lord. Well, Ephesus was so hot during the day that, get this, from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., they would take a siesta. That'd be a cool place to live, right? I don't have to work for five hours during the day. I kid you not. They took a siesta. And so what Paul did is he saw, okay, from 11 to 4, they're not working. So you know what he did? While you're not working, I'm going to go to work. Because Paul had gospel grit, right? While everyone else is resting, I'm going to be preaching. So for two years, from 11 to 4, and this, this info, by the way, is a side manuscript. as a note. They said Paul, so most likely, we're not 100% sure, but most likely he taught from 11 to 4 for two years straight. So imagine five hours a day of preaching. That would be a lot. of We come for an hour. Imagine five hours of Paul just going off about the kingdom. And we have a verse that explains 1 uh, Corinthians. Let's go and throw that at the screen. While he's writing from Ephesus to the church at Corinth, he says, I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has been opened to me. What great and effective door? Most likely it was a school of Tyrannius where he was teaching. And there are many adversaries. So here's the idea. For any of you that want to do gospel ministry, God's going to open up big doors, but there's also going to be big obstacles. I like to say it like this. Every level, new devil. Every greater opportunity of service, there's a bigger devil waiting for you. You're like, that's depressing. But listen, here's the good news. There's also levels of grace, but God gives more grace. There may be a bigger devil with every level, but he's also going to give an extra measure of grace. Amen. You're like, I know it's scary, but God never told us it'd be easy. So here's the results. It said all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, both Jew and Gentile. So here's the thing. If you look at Revelation two and three. How many churches are there? Seven churches. You notice on a map that those churches are around Ephesus. So here's the, the likely probability. We're not 100% sure, but the likely probability is during these two years, these churches were either started or strengthened by Paul's ministry at the school of Tyrannus. Isn't that cool? And so it's kind of like, imagine Paul was building this big kingdom gospel bonfire Everyone came to sit around the bonfire. Many of them caught on fire by the bonfire. And they were sent out as embers into the cities around Ephesus to catch their city on fire. Someone once said, oh, that God would catch me on fire. That the world would come from near and far to watch me burn. And may we burn with gospel passion. May we burn with holy fire for him. May we burn with intention. May we burn with purpose May we burn with love for Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's review the four R's. See if you guys remember. And if you didn't get in your fill in the blank, now's the time. Recognize that you cannot live effective life apart from the Holy Spirit. These guys, they were sincere. They were trying to follow God, but they didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit. And this leads you to, I got to do better, be better type of religion. Listen, if you try to live your Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit, it's going to feel like a workspace. Christianity is not a workspace, it's a faith base. And because you have faith in Jesus Christ, the works flow out of your faith. And number two, receive the complete gospel so you can live the victorious Christian life. So if you want to hit a home run for the kingdom, if you want to do great things for God, remember first base. Remember to get baptized. Some of you are on first base, but you need to join a small group. Some of you are in a small group, but you're not sharing your faith. So I want to encourage you to take that next step of faith. Take that next step. All right, number three. Respond to the work of God within you. All right, let's review the three prepositions. Beside, inside, and through. Before you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes alongside of you to bring you to Jesus. Once you accept Jesus, the Holy Spirit moves inside of you. And as you daily live for Jesus and surrender your life to Him, the Holy Spirit works through you. And finally, rally around the mission of God as you proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, Imagine how much good Paul did in two years. There may be someone saying, Timothy, I'm 80, I'm 90. Listen, you don't need a ton of time to make a big difference. A lot of times we think of longevity. God wants you to have a legacy. He wants you to make a difference. Paul had a short life. Jesus, he did his ministry three, three and a half years. So even if you're 80, even if you're 90, with whatever time God gives you, God doesn't need a lot of time to do a lot of work, right? He created the whole world in six days. All Everything you can see in six days. He doesn't need a lot of time. He just needs your heart completely surrendered. And finally, to summarize this up in one sentence, let's throw the big idea up. And let's say it together. The spirit-filled believer is filled with power that transforms their walk and their talk. And three action steps, and we close. How do we apply this? Recognize and receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit. As a Baptist church, we're not afraid of the Holy Spirit. We embrace the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, and he works the work in your life and through your life. So receive it. Next, live out the gospel so those who don't know Jesus can see Jesus living through you. I'd encourage you, March the 9th and 16th, it's actually going to be in the, the fellowship hall. We were going to do it down the hallway here, but it's, we've got a big class. We want to encourage you to come. We're going to have a How to Share Your, your Faith, How to Have Gospel Conversations. Uh, Todd Alwine, who has around-the-corner ministry, is going to do the first session on the 9th, and I'm going to do the session on the 16th. If you will just sign up, we'll provide dinner for you, and it's going to be a great training of your faith. All right, and finally, as we close, do one thing this week that will expand the kingdom of God in your sphere of influence. So I want you to ask yourself, what is one thing I can do that will help expand the kingdom? You're like, what does that look like? Well, It may be praying with your employees. It may be giving your employees a raise because you're generous and God's a generous God. I don't know what it looks like. But think about one thing that can point people to Christ. One thing that can make a difference. Let's pray. Father, you are good and we look to you. And Father, I look back at Ephesus at the school of Tyrannus and I see Paul, this little guy that probably is sweating as he's teaching and he's pointing up towards heaven and he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. And I see people that come that are spiritually dead and they're, they're leaving embers ablaze with fire. And I see those embers going out, going out to other cities, going out to the countryside. And God, I'm wondering if you would do it again. If you would see Arden as a group of embers and that as we go out to our families, as we go out to our friends, as we go out to the workplace, that people, when they're around us, they'll see something different about us. And that the Spirit-filled believer will transform the world with power because of their walk and talk, because the Holy Spirit lives inside of them. I just want to ask all the believers, first of all, if you want the world to see... Your life is ember glowing brightly for the kingdom of God in your walk and in your talk. I just want you to lift your hand. No one look around. Just keep your hands up. Lord, you see the hands raised to the heavens. We ask for spiritual power. God, we know we have the Holy Spirit as believers, but we want the Holy Spirit to work through us. We don't want the Holy Spirit only to live in us, but we want him to work through us. So Lord, fill us again with the Holy Spirit. We ask. You're a good father. And your word tells us we can ask. We ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us afresh and anew so that you can work through us. You can put your hands down. With no one looking around, God has been working beside you. And He's been trying to woo you to Himself. That's why you're here today. That's why you're watching online. But you've never accepted Jesus, you've never said yes to Him, you've never repented of your sins. And the Bible says that we're saved by faith in Christ. No works, just faith. But you have to place your faith in Jesus. You have to make a decision today. And if you've never invited Jesus to save you, I just want you to slip up your hand. I want to pray for you, anyone at all. Timothy, I need to accept Jesus today. If you're in the room, just go ahead and raise your hand. No one's going to embarrass you. We're not going to ask you to come forward. If you're online, please send us a message. If you need to invite Jesus to save you, I want you to say this prayer. Say, Dear Jesus, I want to thank you for dying for me. I want to thank you for rising from the dead so that you give me new hope and new life. And dear Jesus, I invite you to save me. I place my faith in you alone for salvation. And Jesus, I ask that you would forgive me of all my sins. I turn from them and I turn to you. And Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move inside of me. To change me from a caterpillar to a butterfly. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said.